Hello, and welcome back to the Building Our Future podcast with me, Bert Broadhead. Today, we're checking the pulse of the UK prop tech sector with Savannah de Savary and finding out about her new plan to enable community engagement and developments through gamified technology. We'll also be finding out about Savannah's path into the prop tech sector and her plans for the future. My guest today is Savannah de Savary, founder and CEO of Built ID, a prop tech platform that showcases the built environment projects of today and transforms community engagement to better shape the projects of tomorrow. Built ID connects architects and consultants with potential clients on an online hub, which has been described as the Shazam of property. After graduating from the University of Oxford in 2013, Savannah joined Thor Equities before founding Built ID in 2015. Savannah won Young Entrepreneur of the Year at the Property Awards and was voted in Property Week's Power 100 Top 20 Ones to Watch and as one of the Top 20 PropTech Influencers in a poll by the UK PropTech Association. She is a regular columnist for Property Week and sits on the Legacy Foundation Board of Trustees and ULI Young Leaders and Urban Art Forums. You. Um, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a packed CV for, for whatever it is, five years. I know, I'm exhausted listening to it. <laughs> so can we just talk about what led you to found Built ID after two years in the industry? I think it was just how much of an old boys club it was. Everything was reliant on word of mouth. It was relying on who you know is what you know. Um, and it was a very closed off industry. And for me, it really, it, it led to a lot of frustration, not only myself as someone junior in the industry, but I also noticed it amongst my far more senior colleagues who were having to call around their networks to find out the right insight and were having to go through traditional channels. And it just seemed like somewhat democratizing um, the industry, the word of mouth network that we have to rely on um, was overdue. Were you setting out to change the way that, that deals are sourced or, or that assets are, are brokered or what, what was it specifically that you viewed as the problem? It really was about trying to make a centralised database of projects and there's a lot of different things you can do with that and from the very beginning we always knew there were a lot of different avenues we could go down once we reached that critical mass of data of who's behind what because really for me in, in the role I was in it was trying to find the right architect or designer to create a cool workspace which tech companies would want to come occupy which really wasn't the type of space that we'd traditionally been building or we wanted to create a giant tech hub on the waterfront in Brooklyn and we needed to know which architect had the right rapport with someone like Google or Facebook and could help us attract that type of tenant but that really early doors seem like only one application to having this user-generated database that continues to grow so um and we'll talk about it in due course but i know you've branched out into several different areas now but originally the idea was was that database so i could either search by a building and find out the consultants that have worked on it or else by consultants and see what buildings they've done Absolutely. And you can still do that. And that database continues to grow every month. So I think we now have around 180,000 project images from all over the world of the best practice of building and who is behind those projects. So that's something that we continue to see grow. And it now also feeds um, into our community engagement platform we launched because you get to view a team's track record and actually be able to see, you know, put it's less nameless, faceless corporations. It's people that you can actually see the work they've done, feel a relationship with it and feel more faith that they're coming into your community to actually make a positive difference this database of building information and particularly photographs 
you're now putting them to additional use uh, using effectively AI search technology. Yeah, so there's image recognition software, which we're developing in order to be able to see a building that you like and be able to cross-reference it with our database to find similar project inspiration. We have a sort of Pinterest-esque saving tool, which you can use to organize your inspiration, collaborate with colleagues on it, etc. Um, and that's, yeah, a, a sort of improving product as we speak. And, and is that searching by, by tags, or is that actually reading the, um, the image in a smart way to work out what's in the image? So there's something called Clarify, which we're using, which um, essentially lets it, it uses machine learning to actually read the image. Um, however, we also do just have tags where you can find it by keywords, by the client, by the project type, the type of service that was delivered on that space. Um, but no, it's getting, it's getting more sophisticated. And we're lucky that, to be honest, the tools are already there. The tools in the industry are remarkable. Um, and it's just applying them to, to property in particular that's exciting. Uh, and that is presumably um, particularly exciting for architects and designers who can put together mood boards and what have you at the at the click of a button. Hopefully, and it also means that they can be found by clients that otherwise wouldn't have found them. So we have quite a lot of, it's often big pension funds who want to find innovative designers that have done amenity space, etc., done similar styles to PRS, but haven't already you know, done a lot of work in the UK market aren't overexposed and because we have such an international database they often use it to source exactly those sorts of um, designers and architects etc and they make shortlists and get hired and that's really exciting to see so it's not just about sourcing inspiration yourself it's also about other people finding you through the work you've done right which which makes sense and i guess that, that is building on one of the original tenets of your uh, of your proposition absolutely we don't want it to be that you know the little black book is what matters do you have the right contacts to get exposure um on our site it's how much work you've done for the, meet the particular criteria that matters what percentage of your portfolio is that so if you're the biggest architect in the world um you're not going to come up high in the search results for someone searching for retail in Milan than someone who only does retail in Milan. You'll both come up at the same time. And that was important to us to make it a more even playing field. Do people pay to list? No, absolutely. So that's, that's one of the key sort of um, cornerstones for me of what we've built is that it's not about how much money you have to be found. It's completely free to showcase your work on there. And it will remain that way, hopefully. And obviously this, this idea, as you've grown this database, is... Uh, led to, uh, to new smart ideas in, in terms of how you can scale up the business in different directions. And uh, the one I've been reading up on, which I think is really exciting, and actually we discussed on, on last week's episode, uh, is the idea of give my view. So I'm, I'm just going to steal a piece from your website, which I think sums up the problem um, very nicely, which is that effective community consultation is integral to a successful development. However, the process is often skewed by the views of a vocal minority who have more time and inclination to feedback on prospective projects via traditional means. There is a lack of information and motivation amongst the silent minority who are disenfranchised from the planning process. That is a statement which most people in the industry would, would agree with. What's your idea for tackling it? So our idea for tackling it is creating a gamified digital portal that engages those demographics who won't turn up at a meeting. And that don't necessarily have the strongest views, but are actually interested in development. They're interested in how their neighbourhoods are shaped. But like, I, like you read there, you know, they don't have time to go to that town hall meeting. Or maybe like me, they can't think of anything worse. Um, so the idea is that they can have a say over what gets built and help shape it in a meaningful way um, at their own convenience. So via their smartphone, their website, whatever it may be, they can go on there online and see what's going on and then have a voice on it, have a view be able to shape what gets built. 
how might this work in practice if I if that there is a development project of reasonable size going on in in my borough how would they kind of approach me or how would I get involved within your app so you would probably be sitting on the bus let's say going to work and you would get an ad via your Instagram or Facebook etc which would say you can have a you can have a say on what gets built locally we'd like to hear from you and you would click through where you can find out information about the project it's all with very tight character limits to make it digestible strip out all the jargon you can see the vision for the project and crucially you can see what decisions have already been influenced by the community so it starts to build that trust that's you know sort of seriously lacking between communities and developers currently um, you get to see the track record. What has this team done before? Um, have they done the sort of work that you want to see in your community? And then once you've had that education piece, you can have a say yourself. So you can vote on key aspects of the scheme that the developer has decided they'd like to hear from the community on. It could be what are your concerns? It could be what's most important to see in our community facilities? Or how do you want the public space to be? And actually feel like you're making an impact, really? and having a sense of ownership over what gets built. These high-level decisions, are they more what might be used within the public realm, or could it be as basic as what the mixed constituent parts are going to be? It completely depends on the client. So we tend to get involved at the pre-planning app stage, where there's still a lot of, sort of high-level decisions that can be influenced. But the idea is you use it throughout the process. So it could be as granular as what particular play equipment do you want in the playground? Or it could be your five steps back and you're deciding should we have a playground do you really think there's a need for one at this site or would you prefer that we have a cinema or we have retail whatever it may be so it completely depends on what the client wants to use it for do you see this as being a replacement for traditional means of community engagement no not at all i think that it's incredibly important that you reach people um on their terms I think that's, and I think that for a lot of people that go to these in-person consultations, they want to talk to another human. They want to have that face-to-face interaction. This is really meant to be bringing new demographics to the table who wouldn't take part otherwise. We also have a news feed where we can showcase the workshops and the in-person consultation exhibitions that are going on to try and drive more traffic through, get people to turn up who wouldn't otherwise. So, no, we very much see it as complementary to what's done currently. We're not trying to be disruptive. And how how integrated is this going to be within the wider Built ID platform? Is it a separate offer? So it's very integrated in the sense that every time someone puts their track record on for this, it helps feed our underlying database, which is pretty exciting. But it's also white-labeled. So on the back end, it looks and feels exactly like you're using the main Built ID site, and it's actually hosted on there. But for a user in the community, um, it feels like you're connecting directly with that local council or property developer built idea nowhere to be seen Uh, and are you using the image database you've got to present people with different options of what might be involved in their scheme yeah absolutely when for you know we have clients that want their images to be showcased and used in that way and in that case we do but obviously it's up to our clients our members if they want their photos to be used but most people actually are really keen for them to be used to showcase as best practice and to help encourage the communities to actually see the positive side of development and gamification mm-hmm. um on the one hand fun and simple on the other hand do you, do you risk kind of oversimplifying or how do you prevent oversimplifying what is actually a pretty complex process 
Gamification is so important in order to incentivize people, especially for generation rent. If this scheme is going to take 10 years to come to fruition, you may not be living there when it's finished. So the idea is we wanted to find a way to incentivize people to engage and feel like their time, their input they give, is actually going to translate into decisions they can see in their community tomorrow. Um, you know, in the near future, not in the distant, distant future when they probably are living somewhere else. So the idea is that three local charities or initiatives are selected. This could be a local school, a, you know, community centre, homeless shelter. And the more you engage and you have a say and have an input, the more points you get that you can then give to one of those three charities. And the developer will have set aside X amount of money, which will then go towards them whenever you donate your points. So let's say one of the charities gets 60% of the points, they'll get 60% of that pot of money. Um, and I don't think it simplifies it, because all it really does is firstly makes it more engaging to continue. You've done three questions, there's loads of other things you need to get on with, but, oh, if I only do two more, I'll have enough points to donate to you know, that local school, which yeah. I really care about. Um, so I think hopefully it doesn't sim- oversimplify it, but there's nothing wrong with making a process that predominantly only you know ex-professionals engage with a little bit more simple and streamlined it's probably pigeonholing myself in a horrendous manner if i think of the waitrose green counter thing i completely profile whoever i'm talking to and i either say it's the waitrose ones or i can say it's the ice ones i don't you don't you worry that's exactly what it is and it's exactly the same sort of um psychological research behind it and how it helps encourage people to engage have you been able to test it so far Yes, so we've launched on a couple of schemes, um, both for councils and for developers, and the results have been really exciting so far. So it's early doors, so I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to, to get my hopes too high, but so far we've found a lot of young people actually engaging. From the age of sort of 17 to 35, we get a lot of engagement, but we've also had people who are 80, 90 years old using it on the giant iPads that we have, um, and that's kind of awesome to see as well. And have you done any work to look at what the actual current levels of engagement through the traditional means are versus where you think you can get it to? Yes, it's quite easy to compare because we know at the previous consultations how many people turned up and engaged, and that sets a sort of a threshold to balance that but also exceed it to get a wider um, you know, sort of cross-section of society involved in the process. And so far, at least, we've had a, a really positive reaction, which we're very relieved and grateful. And I don't want to push you too far on this, but are you expecting you know, ultimately that this could get to 10 times the numbers that are engaged? Or um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to compare because obviously every consultation is different and every developer has a different process. Um, but, you know, on the ones we've launched, we're, we're very much in the thousands cool. of, of poll responses, which is great. And so far, you've, you've been speaking about um, developments, but... Um, I think one of the things I'm seeing is that whether it's a development or, or just as a property investor, there's an increasing uh, necessity to engage on a much more regular basis with with your community, and not not only to find out what they want, but to feel to make them feel like that they, you know, they are genuine stakeholders in the project. Does this have um, kind of utility purpose beyond development, just as an ongoing engagement tool? I think there's some great community apps out there. Um, You get things like District, um, Office App, which do a great job of once a facility is built, that internal community keeping them engaged. I think hopefully where we come into our own is it's that external community. So even once you have planning, being able to update people, we're going to bring in a crane at 8am tomorrow. So don't expect a lion or whatever it may be. God, I've really revealed myself by saying (laughs) past 8am is going to be a lion. But uh, sorry, bring in a crane at 6am, don't expect a lion. 
I don't think we want to be everything for everyone. I think what we hope to do, and I believe really strongly in this, is collaborate. We want to collaborate with all the other innovative products out there. So once you know that shovel is in the ground, we're there. Once that door is opened, there's probably another app that can do a better job of engaging your community. Are there other directions you'd like um, to take Bill's ID in beyond this, or is this very much focused for the foreseeable? Um, absolutely. Firstly, I want to take it global, and we want to get as many international projects as possible because it also means our database continues to grow internationally. And I still remain having the biggest dream being that you can enter any market and you hold up your phone and Bill ID will tell you who are the innovators behind that landscape you're seeing. And it's pretty cool to see how much that's growing and how quickly. And, um, yeah, watch that space. The, the mapping technology we're developing behind the scenes is going to play into the community engagement tool, but also as a standalone product, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, when, you, when you say play into the community engagement, are you talking kind of through social media proximity, um, kind of pushing data, or, or uh, is it something else? Certainly that's part of it. We shall watch with, uh, with keen interest. <laughs> Moving to a slightly more uh, broader discussion. So we, we started this by um, you describing that one of your immediate goals had been to help democratise real estate. And this is, again, another kind of, kind of hot topic which we, we keep coming back to. Even the word democracy, I think, makes for a nice soundbite, but quite often is used, um, from my perspective, without being thought through as, as often as it should do, and sometimes. So how, how do you think, in from the perspective of give my view, you draw the line between what should be kind of delegated author, um, decision-making on the behalf of the developer versus respecting the view of the, the local community? Yeah, I think for us, democracy um, and democratising really the process is important because at the moment you have this very vocal minority who do dominate that discussion and that dialogue. And I think that you should get more diverse views before you make decisions on how to shape a local neighbourhood. Um, and I think a lot of developers want to. They want to They want to have more open dialogue with the community. They want to hear more diverse opinions. So it's completely central to what we do. You know, the tool's designed to go right to left and left to right, so it can be translated into Urdu, Bengali, Arabic, whatever someone's first language of choice is. Um, it's an accessibility colour, so it works for people who are colourblind. It's very, very visual, so it works for people who have learning disabilities. I think when you say making something democratic, people immediately have that fear that it's going to be a referendum, when actually it just means that giving you know, a wider aspect of the demos a say. You know, it's, it's the people, and the people are more than just middle-class professionals who have the time and also the education to really understand the planning process and get involved. Um, so I feel, I feel very strongly that it needs to be more democratic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you, know, you have to have, you know, the, the, every decision has to be made by the community. Part of it is actually letting everyone in the community have that education about the complexities that go into planning and the complex policy framework you're working within. And a lot of the questions we have are actually communicating those compromises that are inherent in development. We don't have a space to do everything. You know, we only have a certain amount of space to do housing. You want 100% affordable. You also want to be able to have all these other facilities, etc. Understanding those compromises that the development team are having to make um, is something that right now communities don't necessarily have the opportunity to do. Yeah, and I, I would 100% agree, agree with, with that sentiment. Um, and I think what's really interesting is the tech products emerging like, like your own mean that you can actually make the process in some ways much more complicated by including many more stakeholders, but at the same time, it should actually end up being 
a more straightforward process in some ways because you you should be removing some of the, the traditional friction points as long as you can bring more people on board. Um, but I, but I do think there is still a a kind of philosophical point that the ultimate project direction will need to be. Um, uh, non-democratic to an extent that a developer buys with a vision in mind which is normally baked into the, the price they are paying and that we're probably some way off being able to change that business model absolutely and i think what's really important is actually that the developer is able to guide and communicate that to the community that it has to be economically viable to, for them to be able to go ahead for anything to happen there and i think like i said our tools is much about that education piece as it is about the voting that's just one aspect of it um, and we make it very clear to our clients that we'll only work with people who are going to put things on there that cost-wise and aesthetically they can stick with those decisions. And the things that can't be, you know, aren't up for debate are also communicated. It has to be this tool or it has to have this unit mix or whatever it may be. Um, I think as long as you people can understand why those decisions yeah. have been made, it goes a long way to diffusing that tension. Sometimes, not always. It should, in theory, only be, mm. only be positive. And so in, in uh, just a wider chat on democratization, so another, another area that crops up in quite a lot is ownership. Uh, and there is, uh, seems to be an awful lot of ambition out there at the moment to, to democratize uh, ownership of commercial real estate in particular. I- ironically, from my perspective, when you look at a lot of successful real estate ownerships of the past, Grosvenor, amongst, amongst others, actually um, from single ownership has had and, and long-term custodianship, had a lot of advantages where do you stand on that i completely agree i think you you become almost a, a guardian don't you a steward of that land and you look forward grove is one of our clients and it's amazing to see the relationship they have with the assets they own they really see themselves as you know sort of the stewards for future generations and they have that real sense of responsibility um because they're there for the long term and i think that's fantastic to see so um yeah i wouldn't wouldn't disagree with you on that one so I mentioned some of your, your prop tech credentials at the, uh, at the start of the interview. Um, so, so you are, I'd say, as well-placed as anyone to um, let us know a little bit about where you think the next big trends are coming from. I personally think that Contech is a really interesting one. So it's terribly named, but essentially construction technology, there's so much efficiency that can be gained there. And when people say using robots in construction... I'm not talking about you know them ruling a job site and, and putting everyone out. out the of individual bricklaying. Exactly. Um, although those are kind of cool. There is a new yeah, one coming out agreed. called to, to, to slightly go off track, but there's one called Hadrian X, which I think Saudi Arabia have you know shotgunned the first pre-ordered even <laughs> the first, but pretty much shotgunned the first hundred. But essentially, it's amazing. It can um, adjust itself for wind and inertia and everything else, and lay something crazy amount of bricks per hour. It's pretty cool in more practical levels, whether it's using AR for safety tutorials or whether it's using drones, you know, flying ahead of the autonomous digger to chart its path. There's some really cool things out there that um, will become more mainstream, I hope, in the near future. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a sector we're, we're looking pretty, pretty closely at at the moment. And another thing which we've touched on recently is intergenerational living. So we had uh, Justin Shi of Cohab on here. And when I was researching that, I couldn't help but note that you had written uh, an article on the matter in Property Week. I did. And I think I actually said Justin's company is one to watch in my 2009 predictions for Property Week as well. I'm a big fan of it. I think that 
the benefits go both ways. You have initiatives in the US where it's not just about trying to combat the loneliness for the senior livers, it's also about actually being able to offset some of the pressures for social isolation amongst the young and bringing those generations together. I think it's a no-brainer. I think hopefully our days of putting, you know, sort of care homes in slightly depressing, isolated locations are becoming behind us because I think intergenerational living is completely the future. And, and what, what kind of piqued your interest in intergenerational living? I think to start off, it was actually just seeing how much further forward it is in Europe than it is here. And that you have sort of trials now, and I mean, Justin's work is, is one of them, really looking to see the positive benefits for students you know, helping the elderly and in return they get reduced rent, but they also get social benefits themselves from having these interactions. And um, yeah, it really resonated with me. One of the things I, I see from an investment perspective is the um, ever-blurring lines of what used to be known as, as use classes. So, uh, you know, offices and now these, these multi-use hubs, and, and I think we'll see the same with, with retail and, and probably all sectors, barring maybe logistics. Um, are you seeing that coming through in, in the projects that being posted on Build ID. Absolutely. You see, you know, offices. We have people we have people reaching out who want to find people to design their office who have previously done mostly hospitality projects because that's the feeling they want for their space. Or you have PRS developers who want their public space to feel like you're in a co-working space. You really see those blurred lines. And I think it's an exciting time for designers and architects to be able to really um, showcase the brevity of their skill and, and their specialisms. Do you think there's a risk of kind of idea oversaturation and the idea of, of co-living, working, and, and people wanting this, this um, kind of collective life? I think that it depends, it depends how you go about it. You have you know, Simon Alford at AHMM is, is a big believer in you create a good space. You create, the reason these warehouse buildings have been able to stand the test of time is because they're adaptable. They adapt to the purposes within them. And I think as long as you know, these, these buildings, which, like you said, have these blurred um, uses, continue to have the bones that's needed to stand the test of time and to adapt to new uses, we're going to be fine. I think if you build something which is only looking, only going to work for a retail store, you're far more likely to be in trouble than if you build something with the fact that you don't know what it's going to be used for in three years, never mind 30 years' time. Um, that's probably a better approach. I hope that as, as the trend of kind of shorter leases and more operational property develops, the risk of you know, what used to be the risk of mixed use diminishes, which was you ha- you'd have a couple of people in long leases who would prevent the wider development of the, of the whole, where they, they seem, properties seem to be becoming a lot more unified from that respect. So if you weren't doing built ID, what other problems would you be addressing within the industry? I think the, the issue with you know, sort of plastic and single-use plastic is horrendous and you see some really cool innovations out there in terms of others' materials. And I would love to deep dive into it and see, is it just economies of scale? Is that actually getting it into these outlets and getting the right backers to, you know, make it mainstream? Or are there actually fundamental issues with mass producing it? It's something I don't know the answer to. And certainly, if I wasn't doing Belt ID, I'd want to explore that sort of industry. Ah, well, you will have to stay tuned because we've got a podcast coming up with someone who has brought together... Um, five or so of the largest corporate occupiers in the UK to address, see if they can address um, single plastic usage. That is awesome. I will most certainly be listening to that. So yeah, I'd be banging on their door. There we go. That's your answer. (laughs) Right. So we're we're moving on to our our final three uh, generic questions, which um, the first of which is if you could recommend our listeners one book that has influenced your thinking and what you do, what would it be? The hard thing about hard things. Awesome book um, that 
focuses a lot on the lows as well as the highs. And it just basically is, is a giant book about resilience. And it's fantastic. And anything particular that you've taken from it? Um, yes, I think one thing that I took from it was the fact that when you're, when you're in one of those lows, it's okay to be there. You don't constantly have to be feeling like everything's going great because otherwise you just get exhausted with, you know, you're up one minute, you're down the next. Yep. I think as an entrepreneur, just learning to think, okay, this isn't one of the best moments I've had, but to remain calm and to think, how are we going to sort this out? is a fantastic is a fantastic lesson to learn and often it's just it's the little things you go up and down every day as an entrepreneur it could be someone sends you an email saying you know actually i'm not doing any projects for the next six months i'm waiting to see what happens to brexit that's what i mean by a low when really five minutes later someone could email you and say actually i have one starting in a month we'd love to bring you on board and you have that high and low and i think reading that book and realizing on a much bigger scale how he addressed it and dealt with it um really helped me get to grips with it you've written it down so i really hope i got the title right i'll, I'll let you know afterwards if i didn't but it's amazing it it's going on the right. building our future book list oh god okay i'll go check <laughs> Sorry, i'll check for you um Next question is, what is your favorite building? Which is presumably quite difficult for you, seeing as you I see tens of thousands. I don't think I could possibly <laughs> say that. I mean, I love, I mean, it's such an such a obvious one to say, but Bloomberg HQ, the how sustainable it is, is awesome. Um, but I honestly don't think I could say what my favorite building is, in case any Sometimes of my clients listen. <laughs> the first answer that comes out is normally the right one. So I'm, I'm taking Bloomberg HQ. No. <laughs> and finally, uh, which technology business of or idea is your tip to impact the built environment in the coming years? I think I would go back to those community apps for inside buildings, actually being able to create that sense of community. Like you said, the use cases are blurring so much. If you can bring those different uses together and the people that are enjoying them, the likelihood of making them stay and, you know, as their needs evolve, they evolve within your building and within that environment go up enormously. Super. Well, we've, we've met a few of them in the past, both Equiam and District, and yeah, can't disagree and seem to be led by incredibly smart people as well. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure hearing your thoughts. I'll be sure to follow Built ID progress in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. I love the idea of using technology to increase the stakeholder base in real estate. And it sounds like Savannah's plans for Built ID will be an excellent means of starting to bridge this gap. It's also great to hear from founders with real passion about achieving something in the industry greater than just the, the simple business objective. And I wish Savannah well in her goal of increasing the engagement across the wider use space. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do me a favor and simply tell a friend about it. You're always welcome to rate us on Apple Podcasts, but a simple referral is just as appreciated. Thank you for listening and join me in two Fridays time when I'm joined by the retail executive turned author, Mark Pilkington, to understand about the massive upheaval in retail and where it's all going to end up. Mm-hmm.